So one of the problems, um, okay, so this, this came up at a party recently, hmm. and it's, it's an ongoing struggle. Good morning, Tommy. Good morning, uh, Mr. Finley. Uh, it's an ongoing struggle, and it's, I recognize for myself um, my desire to sort of like, uh, sorry, I, let me get my thoughts together here. Yeah. I, I, there's a curmudgeon attitude I have about certain movies, yep. and I recognize it, and I want to be fair right. as I dissect it, mm -hmm. and maybe even correct it, right? So I'm at a party. Recently, we're driving. By the way, this is a, an on-the-road episode. On the road, on the nose with the Finleys. And I'm at this party, and once again, this thing comes up where it's like, "Oh, superhero movies." Okay, so I'm sitting at this table, and people are drinking and they're talking about the great superhero movies. And I very like just quietly, like I don't want to push my agenda or ruin anyone's time, but I just say I just don't like them generally. I just, I don't find them <coughs> now, there, very good. Now, there are notable exceptions. I seem to recall you liking uh, Deadpool, for instance. Yep, Deadpool I thought was good, but I have reasons behind that, and it's like I think that Deadpool kind of deconstructs the the genre oh, itself a little bit. That's, yeah, that's the point. And, and it's a little self-deprecating. There's the railroad tracks there. And so I liked it, and I thought it was a good performance, and it's not like I'm incapable of liking it, and that's the point, is I don't want to be incapable of liking a superhero movie, but just generally speaking, I don't care for them. You know, and, and so I get this whole barrage. I mean, people are very upset about it. And I don't think I'm being very forceful about my opinion. Like, <laughs> like what you like. I just don't happen to like superhero movies. And, uh, you know, one guy is telling me, well, uh, referring to the Finleys on film, uh, well, people like those movies more than the movies you guys talk about. And it's like, hey, buddy, let's get this straight. Can I know who that we're, is off the clock here? We're shitty. It's uh, not the movies who are <laughs> shitty. It's our fucking terrible podcast. So yeah. let's, let's get let's place the, we, the, yeah. the, the, the blame squarely where it belongs. Go ahead. No, no. I, it's funny. I was thinking the other day, what exactly kind of a podcast are we? We're not really doing reviews, are we? I don't know. Anyways, okay, oh, but no. but okay, Enough so and I I don't I took no offense at it. I know you know what you know <laughs> the the numbers would bear out what you're saying, oh, sir. For so sure, I have yeah. no there's no issue here. Like mm. I, you know like like them if you want. But what happened is like the word started spreading at the party. Everyone now had to confront me with like um. oh you don't like you're an elitist this or that. And what happened was they started to to show me why I was wrong and should like superhero movies. Which, by the way, is a move I respect. Okay. Because it's what I like to do with movies, too. Now, by the way, let me back this up really quickly because you are kind of an elitist in a lot of ways, I would say. Do you, do you find that an unfair uh, characterization? I don't know if it's unfair. I don't know that it's true either. Mm, okay. Um, can you break that down without going too... So I, can uh, this I don't point? know. It's a little tricky. I mean, because you have a tendency, like, let's just say movie-wise, with the exception of older movies, like, yeah. say, a new movie coming out, yeah. you definitely skew towards the think PC kind of movie. What does that mean, though? 
Well, like the obvious, like like. Uh, I mean, what do you mean by the term "think piecey"? Because I I think "think like piece" Oscar, can be a problem. Oscar Beatty. Well, sometimes it can be, but like maybe not. I don't know Oscar Beatty. I don't like mm-hmm. that either. I don't no. think that's necessarily true. That's definitely not me. But definitely like the more serious movies. You like those ones that make you think. Like your love of adaptation. Like that's a think piecey movie. Would you say? I would say. Yeah, but two things can be true at once. I also like Dumb and Dumber. I mean, it's. A, I mean, no, yeah, liking, no, I'm not saying one, you are without your contradictions. To be sure. Yeah, but that's not a skew. It's what I'm saying. Like, I don't skewed more toward that. I just like a movie that's well made. I mean, it doesn't matter whether... It doesn't have to be, like, serious for me to like it. I think com- they're amazing comedies. No, okay. I'll so back it just off. has to be well made. But that that's not that doesn't strike me as elitist to, to like something that's well made. Because elitism, to me, strikes me as, like, um... I don't know. But anyway, the point is... So, so, so everyone's trying... Everyone wants to convince me... Literally. That... The superhero movie should be taken seriously, or that they're good, oh, yeah. and so they start questioning me. Okay, so far, I'm so, so far so good. Okay. So Socratic method, I'm in. So, uh, well, what about Spider-Man? Well, I saw like the first. Oh no, you didn't see the ones with Tobey Maguire, did you? Yeah. Uh, how many fucking shitty like Spider-Mans do I have to see before I get to the good one? Like, the, like nobody does that, right? Do you like this band? Uh, no. Oh, well, you only listen to the first seven albums? You have to listen to nine albums. Like, why is that a requirement? I've done the work. I don't like the movies. And the reason I don't like the movies is I don't think the writing is very good, typically. As a rule, I, I would I, say you're correct. I don't think the acting is very good, mm-hmm. typically. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what to say about the directing. And here's where I pause to segue into today's episode because uh. I tried to be fair about it when I thought about it after the party. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, what's an equivalent? And I thought the equivalent might be Cecil B. DeMille. And here's why. Mm-hmm. Like, there are Cecil B. DeMille movies that I think are well directed. But mostly what he was, was he was a good, like, tactician. Like, that he could get, like, 27,000 extras you know he did he did the work that a lot of like second directors do now but he did it he did it all and so he would get like 27,000 extras to do an amazing sort of Roman scene or something right. well I think I think like the best I guess the way I would put it is that he like like the modern superhero movie he did spectacle that's what I was gonna say. It's and all spectacle. And that's mostly what the uh, superhero genre is about. Really. And when and and to be honest with you, so I can't really defend them. And to be honest, I don't think they're very good films when they're just spectacle. Now there are films of his that are better than others, right? So like Ben Hur, I think has some hilarious things because Gore Vidal did some screenwriting and he did he yeah. heavily homoeroticized <laughs> it, uh, unbeknownst to Charlton Heston who was who was speaking the lines. Mm-hmm. And there there are interesting things about it. And yeah. Didn't help that his coach was Rob Halford, but <laughs> and absolutely, you can just watch Ben Hur, just as you can watch any dumb movie. Go like, this is just a mind eraser. Huh. I don't care, but but I'm not going to call them necessarily good movies. So I wanted to be fair about it. Like in the the area of like classic movies, there's something where yeah, a hundred percent. It's not just like older is better. Right. And I also acknowledge another thing, which is that. We tend to give bad acting a pass <coughs> in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, Richard Whitmark, who I love, could be a little 
ridiculous and yeah. his acting sometimes yeah. but it's sort of like oh well it's a movie from 1949 so yeah. you give it a sort of pass so I acknowledge Charlton Heston lied all of that in the response to the superhero thing but then so so the reason I bring all this up is because mm. we're watching we're talking about Fritz Lang today oh yeah Fritz we're, Lang we're talking about a couple of movies but the one we're going to start with is for some people the most obvious Fritz Lang uh, movie and that is 1927's Metropolis. Yeah, so Metropolis has all the possibility of being like the Cecil B. DeMille syndrome. Right. Which is to say, okay, it's blockbuster, it's epic, and it's epic in a silent film. Mm -hmm. And it's like, wait a minute, is it just that Fritz Lang is doing something big and all the ways that you can talk about Metropolis trying to be big? And it was that. And does it fail in the way that Cecil B. DeMille films, I think, sometimes fail, and superhero films sometimes fail, in that it becomes only spectacle and not movie? And I'm going to turn it over to you, Tom, in a second after I say this. No. Yeah. Tremendous film. Go. Okay. All right. So, uh, I'm going to go with you on that. It does not fail in that way. Um, absolutely not. Uh, for me, it's a difficult movie to watch. I've watched it several times. I watched the uh, 2010 re-release of the full thing uh, in the theater at the time, and then I kind of walked away swearing I'd never watch it again. <laughs> because it's one of those movies that is... Um, the, the, the concept, the overarching uh, conceits are amazing. Uh, it has that German uh, the, the German expressionism thing, which is like the sets and the set design, fucking amazing and fantastic and all this kind of stuff. Uh, but it also, um, it, the, the acting is, is also German expressionistic, which I fucking hate. And um, uh, it's kind of, it's, kind of, it's hyper simplistic. It's a morality tale, essentially. It's a commie morality tale is what it is. Uh, and so, um, uh oh, you're shaking your head. Disagreement. Okay. So, uh, I, I don't know. It's not a movie that I, it's a movie that I think is very important and very cool to watch, but get it out of your system because uh, it's hard to rewatch that movie. Yeah, okay. So, I'll grant you that. I, I'm going to grant you one thing on that. It is a film that takes a lot of effort. And I 100% respect the not wanting to put the effort into watching that film at any given time because it, it definitely is you know but but it, but I would also say a lot of the films that a lot of us like including people who don't even like classic film like I mean the it, it takes as much effort as watching the Irishman okay all right I mean the Irishman takes a lot of effort I think it's a much better film than the Irishman in many ways in many ways okay so how so well the, well here's where it departs <laughs> I mean I think it's a great story. Uh, I think it's a fantastic story. I think the the sort of the, the numerous loops that that film takes, and for instance, when you were saying it's it's a, a morality tale about communism, I'm going to say this. I think it's a morality tale about communism, about capitalism, mm -hmm. about love, about family, about culture, about technology. I mean, it. I, I'm not sure what it doesn't cover, this film. Mm. And, and some of that is like, I don't know, in the uh, 90 years or so, 92 years since its release, uh, mm -hmm. our concept of what, let's say, communism or capitalism looks like has in, been complicated. So, like, I can totally see that as a film about 
the the sort of like a kind of a modern day feudal system, a, a knock on capitalism. Mm-hmm. Oh well, it's absolutely a knock on capitalism, and, and in that sense, that helps it be rather pro-communist. I would say. Oh no, no, but I think it's a knock on communism too. Really? Oh yeah, because there's all kinds of collectivism that's talked about in this film. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's 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 one of the issues. Uh, collectivism by way of oppression. Okay, okay, I can see that. I mean, look, which I guess is how communism has manifested itself in uh, in in the in the good old world today. In the good old world, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, fair well, enough. All right. So the point being, um, maybe I just hit Frieder. I hate Frieder. I don't know. You hate what? The head. The the lead. Uh, the lead actor. Oh, okay. Ah, just mincing around, grabbing his chest all the time. Ugh. Okay. Well, okay, so Fritz, Fritz Lang is, um, I mean, there's a lot to say about this guy, too, right? So Fritz Lang, he made this film, he made one more film, I think. Um, Goebbels actually called him in uh, to, to uh, into the Ministry of, of Propaganda to be part of that system. Mm-hmm. Right. To which Fritz Lang said, look, I'm, I'm half a Jew. Yeah. I'm not Aryan. And Goebbels said, we decide who's Aryan. Because, <laughs> because that was a quote from Goebbels because, because they did. he was such an amazing uh, filmmaker. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Fritz Lang. He did M, right? Yeah, Fritz Lang did M yeah, in 1931. That's, a, that's one of my favorite movies of but all time. I think I think M and Metropolis use some of the same approaches. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's sort of like, it's so sort of complicated. In M, uh, Peter Lorre doesn't, sh- doesn't really do much until the last part of the film. Right. And yet he's menacing throughout. Yeah. And so it becomes a lot about, M isn't just about like the justice system or about like a pedophile killer. Mm-hmm. It's about also about technology, and by the way. Society and, yeah. yeah, so I think Metropolis is all of these very, very strange things, you know, set in a, a dystopian, look, it's one of the first science fiction films. Oh, it's, I think it's the first full length science fiction. I think the only thing I can think of before that is Rocket to the Moon. Rocket to the Moon, yeah, the Moon in the like, Eye. That was, that was a short one. Okay, right. So fair enough. So let's say the first full-length science fiction film. Yeah. It's dystopian, and it's like, look, one of the, 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 the advantages of science fiction or fantasy is that you can sort of clean the cultural slate in order to <laughs> examine uh, cultural uh, issues right. and modernity. And I think it does that. It has a sort of you know, what's the issue with the city? First of all, in 1927, Fritz Lang built the city, built this sort of uh, landscape that's amazing. That's the other thing about this movie that I think that, that we cannot we cannot fail to point out is how culturally relevant this movie is since then. Like, how many things have been sort of taken from... Oh, the uh, apocalyptic freeway, for instance. Yeah. The breaking like, down of the freeway. Right, or the breaking right. down of the infrastructure. Uh, the giant monolithic, that future, that city of the future, which so like informed like the Disneyland model, right? Yeah, I think he's comparable <laughs> to Eisenstein. I, I look at like the battleship Potemkin and and like the the the, the um, Odessa stair scene, which is sort of like a a, a, a study in in, mm-hmm. in 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 cinema, and I feel like all of Metropolis is like that stair scene. It's just it's just incredibly frantic. It's it's the city is you know the old cliche of the city being a character you know of course yeah. it is a character Metropolis yeah, 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 yeah. but it's like okay so you have like you know the downtrodden the, right. the underworld mm-hmm. and then you have the the city planners and the the um, the elite the elite right right frolicking in a garden right 
where their kids are. And and something has to, some sort of seam has to has to come undone, and it comes undone with the, the character of the, the woman Maria, right. who starts to show the children like almost like a, a museum tour how their quote unquote brothers and sisters are living above the surface. Right. Mm-hmm. And their brothers and sisters are are completely oblivious, most of them, to the machinery of the people who work below the surface. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like right? more, yeah, almost more than oblivious. Like like they kind of like, like an insulting level of it for sure. And so the character we're, we 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 follow like the, the protagonist is is this character who is not only oblivious but his father is one of the city planners. No, I think his father's like the big chief, like the the, the head cheese, ca- if the you head will. queso, my friend. Yes. Okay, so right. So, um, you know, he's he's awakened to this sort of privilege that he has, and he wants to explore it. A little bit of a boner too, because Maria's got those eyes, and so he's he's got a thing, he's got a thing for the Maria lady. Right. So he goes about exploring all these interesting ways, and it becomes kind of Shakespearean. This is what I like about the writing. It's like he changes places with one of the workers mm-hmm. in order to experience what one of the, one of the workers does, right. but also like to sort of figure out like to, how to make a plan about like exposing this underworld to the rest of the, 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 the world on the surface, the elite surface, mm-hmm. with this sort of idealism that it's going to change. This film is called Naive oftentimes, but I think it's just a study. In, in in naivete to some degree, it's okay. one of one of the parts of like the the parts of the machinery here. And his father is completely unsympathetic to it. Oh yeah, puts a guy on the case to sort of follow it's like him. Like a Nazi Scrooge. In the meantime, we have this inventor who uh-huh. um, is supposedly working for the father um, to build a robot to sort of undo the work of the underground rebellion. But the inventor himself has this sort of past with the father because he feels that the father, yikes, he feels that the father has... Um, That's our hell right there. Yeah. Uh, we just saw a, a sweet, sweet crackhead uh, drive, uh, riding in the road. Crackhead lady. Yeah. Um, um, that the father um, uh, uh, abused his, his relationship with this beautiful woman who the inventor loved. So the inventor's actually working against the father. So people are like working right. I think for... There's a further, the, the, I think there's a further thing to that, which is that the father, I think, married that woman and she is the mother of... Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, I, Frida, yeah. Right, our, 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 protagonist. our main protagonist. Yeah. And, and so it's like, oh my God. And it's, you know, and so this inventor's going to build a robot, um, but disguise the robot as someone. And so, so the, the city planner wants him to disguise it as the, the Maria. Maria, who's the rebellious leader. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and further sort of complicating the fact that our protagonist might be sort of temporarily in love with the robot. This right. film has got everything. I and, love and this robot, movie. by the way, is evil by way of being kind of a cool flapper girl. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> da, 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 da. That's pretty funny. It's a wild, wild film. It's and not it's, a subtle film. Would you meet me there? No, absolutely. It's not subtle. It's, it's 1927. It's pretty ham-fisted. Well, that's the other thing, too. I mean, it comes out of that time period where, I, I, you know, I think, you know, th- that still falls into the category of people were trying to figure out what to do with this movie thing. Yeah, and this this I think was like this is a very heartfelt and good example of one of those early attempts for sure. Yeah, well, let's, okay. You know, let's let's make our our broader political statement in a broader sense. I mean, they didn't go they, you know subtly was out the window because they didn't think you know they, they hadn't uh, developed a lot of techniques that would have allowed them to sort of get it in there. I would imagine. Yeah, certainly, certainly, right. So so. Um, the fact that Fritz Lang is... I lost my thoughts. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no. Uh, the fact that uh, Fritz Lang is uh, so obviously a German uh, guy... Uh, I don't know. You got nothing? Okay, uh, so... so um, 
it, it, yeah, it's like late 1920s, and it's Weimar Republic Germany. That also oh, don't, oh yes, yes, do not right. let us forget the time and place in which this thing was made because that's very important. That really informs it. Well, uh, yeah, I mean that's the kind of thing though. It's sort of like <laughs> because this was the exact debate happening in Weimar uh, in in Weimar culture. Uh, that's being expressed in this movie in a, in, a, in a larger sense again, right? Because I'm an elitist, I'm going to ask you to unpack for a lot of people who would not know Weimar Republic Germany being post-Treaty Versailles, Treaty of Versailles... World War One, ...being post-World War One, Right. And so we have a culture that's really sort of confronted with the fact of, of its own loss, of course, yeah. but also its culture being taken away from it. Oh, its culture being, like, radically shifted. And, and in a sense, you're correct, taken away from it by the Treaty of Versailles. One of the things that had defined German culture before that was its very strict adherence to what we call militarism, okay? That got sort of wiped out. And so Germany, like, in the interwar years, really struggled to find its identity. And fortunately, that identity ended up being Nazism in the end but for a while they they played footsie with a with a, a form of liberalism that kind of scared the shit out of the rest of europe and germany and, and in a sense led to the nazis taking over so like oh, almost, oh uh, sorry god i apologize tom i was asleep what uh <laughs> what were you saying there yeah, I, you know oddly enough while you were driving i didn't notice at all joe um <laughs> Yeah, okay, I mean, I guess, but the, but I, I, I guess what I would throw out there is, like, I don't know that it's one response, because I, to me, I look at it the same way, it's like, hey, is this, is this a, a sympathetic to the communist point of view, or to the capitalist point of view? Who's it bashing here? I would say the same thing here. I don't know that it's, it's very specifically providing a point of view about that, about the, 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 the conditions of Germany. Oh, well. That's what I like about the film, is that it doesn't really, it doesn't really ever come down on one side. No, yeah, it really doesn't. No, it, I guess it really doesn't. But it's but it's talking about the about that clash of ideas that is definitely going on. Right. So it's just yeah, that's... in society and in the movie. Yeah. Goddamn Fritz Lang. Fritz Lang was such a weirdo. You know. Oh, his I mean, wife. Well, fucking from Berlin. Come on. His wife uh, uh, co-wrote the screenplay. Yep. They divorced mm -hmm. because she was a Nazi. Was she? Yeah. Oh no! I never. I never she never became heard of that. increasingly Nazi. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. sympathetic. Okay. And so eventually he had to leave her and uh, eventually ended up sleeping with the great Marlena Dietrich. Nice. declared him the worst lover she'd ever had. I totally see that. <laughs> yeah, remember Lupe Valles a bit about Clark Gable too. <coughs> anyway. Well, Lupe was crazy. We know. We know. We know Clark was a... I'm going to say this too. Taxman of the purest. I saw this film. I saw the version that's uh, it's seven minutes short from the ultimate because when it was first released in the U.S., they cut it from two hours and 35 minutes to uh, like an hour, hour and, and 40 minutes. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I saw the version way, way too long. that's about seven minutes short of the ultimate version you probably saw. Yeah. Every version that's that long, though, has uh, moments where it's very <coughs> clear that the print quality changes because they found footage in Argentina. Yeah, they found it in a in a museum of uh, like a, like a like an old like a movie like a cinema cinema museum in Argentina. They found this old print, and so they were able to restore it to damn near its full its original full length. Yeah, which was really was was very very long uh, at the time. But but again, as you pointed out, with this print, you could totally tell because of the way the the letter the the boxing you know changes. Yeah, right. Oh, well, so. the quality changes too. I mean, it's just, oh it's for sure, drastic. For sure. But I'm gonna say something. And there's some parts that are missing altogether. 
together that they have to bridge with uh, with text. They have to bridge, yeah, a little <coughs> bit with text. That happened when we saw that film with um, with uh, uh, Miss Wong. Do you remember the film? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. So, so uh, I'm going to say something controversial here. I saw uh, one print of the film completely with its original soundtrack, and then he went back and watched the film. You know, 80s. sort of skipping sporadically had with a with a soundtrack from the 1980s, yeah, which is kind of an, really? that an industrial so soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Better. It's like with David Bowie or something like that. The like, fucking 80s version. Yeah, yeah. That soundtrack makes the film better. Okay. It just does. I can see that. Yeah, like an industrial sound would totally work with that thing. <clears throat> anyway, I give it a high thumbs up. I'm I'm nowhere near ready to say it's one of my favorite films, but I was dreading this film in a way, even though I thought Probably it was important. Probably because you talked to me. Yeah, well, you had sort of down. Oh, sorry You know, about that. put it down. I, I'm gonna, okay, so here's the thing. I'm gonna give it a thumbs up as well with my, with my proviso here, which is, I think it's a movie that, it doesn't really bear a lot of rewatching. It's good for the, it's good for the first watch, and you should definitely see it because, I mean, if nothing else, it's incredibly a, a roots movie. Like, go watch this thing, because so much of what you see today in modern science fiction is directly come from this particular movie. And so it's from that standpoint, if for no other reason, it's worth watching. Uh, but um, I, I think it's definitely worth watching, again, just for that reason. I would say it's... it's Thumbs up. I, I would disagree with that also. I think it's a movie that has a lot of rewatchability because I think that you keep catch... You're bound to keep catching things each time you watch it. It's just got so much in it. Mm. So much in it. All right. All right. Ah, Joey, enthusiastic thumbs up. Yeah, so 1927. So now let's turn to his American um, sort of Hollywood films after he came to Hollywood in the 30s. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're going to go to 1953's The Big Heat. The Big Heat. Starring Glenn Ford. Ah, yes, indeed. 1954. Yeah. Ford. All righty. Okay. Let's talk about it. Well, this is uh, this falls into the category of a classic. It's called a classic noir. Yeah. I would. Say, I actually have a. I have a minor problem with that particular classification. <laughs> yeah, I know. But <laughs> let's ahead. get let's get further into the movie before I get to that. Because well, I, yeah. Because it kind of spoils. I'm already going to disagree with you. Really? I thought this was the noiriest of noir. Really? Noir. Uh, here's the thing. I thought it was up until that ending, and then that ending is what kind of threw that part. That that that, that made me sort of kind of revision that one. All right. You're so, right. Okay, so here's what I'm going to say about this movie. It's so fucking good. It is so it's a it's I think it's a great movie. Yep. Okay. It's great because it's one of the very few noirs that really says this is why people are being violent fuckers. In yep. This, I mean, it gives the motivations are fucking crystal clear. Yep. All the way across the board, uh, and it never and it, and it never lets that off. It, it, it doesn't really. It kind of lets it off the hook at the end. That's that's my one problem with it. But um, but it, but it maintains like a very. Uh, very cohesive. There's a, there's more cohesion in this movie than there is very typically in this kind of movie. Yeah, um, a, a, on the theme of revenge. Yeah, I mean, I thought about it later on, and I was like, well, what makes this different than the classic like Death Wish? Like they fucked with his family, and I don't know, but it definitely is. It definitely like is mm -hmm. is a, a, a noir solid version of that. And I don't know why it's different, but yeah, Glenn Ford as as a rageful person, right? Pursuing <laughs> at the cost of everyone around mm -hmm. him, pursuing revenge. Yeah, and it's got all the the fucking t terrible possibilities with like turning your gun and badge, 
you know, yeah, and yeah, like yeah, yeah. Uh, they hurt his family and like all that sort of stuff. But for it's, I guess maybe because unlike those other films, it's um, it's stylized mm-hmm. like noir. But Glenn Ford plays essentially a detective who's living uh, uh, the American dream at home right. with his wife and family. He's a sergeant, yeah, he's a detective sergeant in uh, the local metropolitan police force. bearing the burden of the dirty, dirty world at his job. Right, he is where he's, a, he's, the, uh, he's the one genuine, true, honest cop who doesn't take shit from anybody. Yep. Uh, he's, a, he's a tough, bad motherfucker, too, yeah. which is, which is oh, yeah, not how I would normally, you know, not how I always picture him, but he pulls it off really well in this movie. Oh, yeah. He plays a bad motherfucker, yeah. um, and he does not take and shit from criminals. Mm-mm. Well, not a dollar, not a not, not a dollar, not a sideways glance. Now everybody's calling. He calls everybody thief. <laughs> it's fucking great, yeah. Dude. The, the plot seems a little <laughs> complicated, here, although it's much less complicated than Metropolis. Um, and it essentially starts with the suicide of a cop who's been on the take and who has all the dirt and has all the dirt, and he's put it in a letter. And his wife um, sort of puts the letter away for Fine. safekeeping and profit. And blackmail. Because yeah. Because it has so much information it could destroy the local criminal the, the local criminal mastermind's empire. They got Which very includes all of the cops, mafia. essentially. All the rest of the cops, right? right? It's, it's mm-hmm. basically like a Serpico situation here. Right. And if they're not on the take, the cops, they're, they're turning their heads, much to his dismay. Right. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it's like you've got this sort of dirty widow, and you've got this guy who runs to town, I forget his name. Uh, very, 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 uh, very unimportant. It's yeah, a, the second in of, command is much more interesting. Some sort of ethnic, if you will. Yeah, no, definitely playing. A, they're definitely like uh, with the dog whistle. They're whistling towards the mafia here. Very Italian. All right, but also incredibly ruthless, trying to play the political game, but also killing people when they need to get killed for sure. Right. Uh, so, uh, so that, so that's. So there's that, all right. Okay, so, uh, but in the meantime, Glenn Ford at home, he's got this great wife. She's amazing. Yeah, she's great. She, like, grounds him. Love that wife. Backs, backs him up. She's like, yeah, it's whatever, it's whatever 50s wife should be, but kind of sassier than most. Yeah, more fun. Yeah, fun lady. And then uh, they decide to uh, try to take out Glenn Ford, but they fuck up. They put a bomb in his car. Unfortunately, his wife takes the car. Kaboom! Kaboom, as they say. Right. Yeah. And and yeah, they the show rest him. of the film is just him trying to kill anyone who had anything to do with it. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. And in the meantime, some really great supporting characters come out. Well, a the g- mall is the best mall I've ever seen in a she's movie. She's a great uh, gangster's mall. Of yeah, course, she's fabulous, man. Yes. She's great. She's got her own motivation. She's yep. not evil. She's not. She's not incredibly dumb or anything like that. She's kind of heedless, to be sure. But uh, but that's kind of it. She's out for herself. And she's, yep. She's like the best. I think she's the best, most sympathetic, like gangsters mall I've ever seen in a movie. Yes, I really think that. I I, I loved her. I like. I will I like not this disagree with you, sir. All right. So, but then she gets her come up and. Oh, there's just such a wonderful scene. Yes. There's a wonderful scene. Filled with wonderment. It percolates with wonderfulness. Yes, it does. Oh, I won't filter myself you like on some this coffee, one, sir. Joe? I have grounds to tell you, sir. Oh my God. There's a scene with she. This, movie, this is full of bean scene. And Lee Marvin, that is just brutal. Yeah, Lee Marvin is the, uh, is the second in command. The uh, the 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 major henchman of our uh, of our Italian mobster character. Yeah. And she is his mall mole. Yeah. Is it mole or mole? 
think it's mole. Okay, mole. Anyway, so mole she's mole. his mole, uh, but she kind of doesn't take a lot of shit from him, so she decides to go visit with uh, with the Glenn, the Glenn Ford character, and then, uh, uh, what's his name, finds out about it. Yeah. And then, uh, then uh, pours co- splashes her with coffee to the face. Anyway, it's a Burns great, her horribly. Yeah, it's a good film, man. I think it's so dark. It's nice. Weird angles. I mean, it's like, look, Fritz Lang basically became a, a Hollywood director of a lot of B films yeah. and, and a lot of noir, too. But it is such an interesting change from M and Metropolis. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. But here's what's fascinating is he still tried to sneak in. Some of those, uh-huh. like you know, avant-garde moves, you know, <coughs> yep. that he had from Germany. The guy wore a monocle. <laughs> oh, Come on. Fritz now, Lang. now let me back it up because I would say that my 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 only criticism about this movie, the part yeah. that I think where that kind of takes it away, takes it out of the noir genre, is that it ends super optimistically, which is very much not the way noir goes typically. In that stand, in that sense, like everything, like at the end of the movie, you know, Glenn Ford sort of untangles everything, and it all comes out right. All right, I'm gonna. I'm That's gonna, my one complaint about this movie. I'm gonna change. I'm gonna try to turn you around on this. Oh, you you're that. wrong about it ending up. You turned me right round, baby, right round. And here's how you're wrong about that. Okay. What's the last line of the movie? He sits down. He's back at his job. And he tells the, the little uh, the little gopher, get him some coffee. <laughs> get me a cup of coffee, will ya? Splash it in that bitch's face. face, man. Uh-huh. All right. Anyway, I give it a thumbs up. Enjoyable. Total thumbs up. Not as much as Metropolis, but probably more enjoyable because more it's an hour and a half. And, and it's also got words. Yeah, it's also got words. All right, yeah. Tommy, you got something to plug? Uh no, not at the moment. Actually. All right. <laughs> But thank you for asking. Yeah, all right, buddy. All right. Catch you later, bud. Take care, Mr. Finley.